and why. Matthew chapter 1. Last week as we were talking about questions uh, from uh, last Sunday's sermon, uh, Mr. Darrell mentioned something about Joseph and he went home and he studied Joseph and he said, we don't really know a lot about the guy. And I said, no, we don't. I said, I have a sermon. And I, I told you that I, you know, I, I'm not preaching old sermons to you guys, but this one is because I even told you. I said, I got an old sermon uh, and uh, I thought the name of it was Joseph the Most well-known unknown, but actually the name of the sermon is Joseph who? Joseph who? And then the first line is he's perhaps the most well-known unknown. So anyway, so I've just switched gears a little bit based on uh, based on Mr. Darrell's uh, suggestion last week. So we want to look at Joseph from uh, from the uh, New Testament here, the biological father of Jesus. And so we are in Matthew chapter one and uh, beginning in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And when Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. Of course, very familiar passages. We read those uh, just about probably every Christmas, and so we're familiar with that. But let me start with a joke. You might not get it. Jesus, it's not true. It's just a joke. So, you know, don't get on doctrine with me and stuff. Jesus was a teenager, so Joseph decided to tell Jesus that he was not his biological father. Jesus then asked who his real father is, so Joseph explained the whole miraculous Christmas story. When Jesus hears all this and finds out he's the son of God, he's amazed and he says, no way. And Joseph looks at him and says, Yahweh. 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 Okay, so let's look at, let's look at Joseph who? Joseph who, as I said, Joseph is perhaps the most well-known unknown. Automatically goes with Mary. Joseph and Mary. Mary and Joseph. Uh, Joseph is in every nativity scene at Christmas time, unless it's one that just has Jesus. If it's got anybody else in there, Joseph is there. Here's some biblical facts about Joseph. First of all, if you look in verse 16, his father's name was Jacob. That's interesting. He was a descendant of King David. That's up in verse 6. He was a carpenter by trade. Now, we all know that. But Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55 uh, gives us that detail. It says there, is this not the carpenter's son? Talking about Jesus. Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? So he was a carpenter by trade. He lived in Nazareth. That's Luke chapter 2 verse 4. We kind of, I think we exhausted that pretty much this morning. We don't need to go back over that. And he had several children. We see there in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55 as well as Mark chapter 6 and verse 3. He had four sons, James Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and he had some daughters. Something else about this, which is obvious, I think, and that is Mary was not a perpetual virgin. You know, our Catholic friends say that Mary was a perpetual virgin. Not only was she a virgin when she gave birth to Christ, uh, but she remained a virgin and remains one eternally. I don't know why that's so important to them, but it is. Some traditions say that all these other children actually are from a previous marriage that Joseph had. Now, there's no evidence for that. The Bible doesn't say it. 
I'm just saying, they, sometimes people, when they don't like what they read in the Bible, they just make up something to make them feel better. And so apparently they made this idea up that, uh, well, Joseph was married before his wife died, and so these children, they were all from this other woman because Mary's a perpetual virgin. Well, it is true that Mary and Joseph had no physical relationship until after, until after Jesus was born. In fact, look back to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 25. It says there, and Joseph, I'm filling in the word Joseph, and Joseph knew her not. Now, obviously we're not talking about he didn't know who she was. This is the biblical way of saying they had marital relations. It said he knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus is Mary's firstborn, not her onlyborn. Jesus was not, excuse me, Mary was not a perpetual Virgin. Again, I say Jesus is Mary's uh, firstborn, not her, uh, her onlyborn. And Luke chapter 2 and verse 7 uh, says this, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger. There was no room for them in the inn. And so there were other children, and we see who they are, four sons and some daughters. Now, as we mentioned last week, as Daryl was kind of uh, commenting on this, the, the last time the Bible mentions Joseph is when Jesus was 12 years old at the temple. You know, Mary and Joseph, they're all there with the family, and then uh, they leave, and they're in this big caravan, and they're heading back home, and, you know, they start looking for Jesus, and they can't find him, and Joseph says, you know, where's your son? And she's like, well, he's not my son, he's your son, but anyway, I thought he was with you, and uh, she's like, no, I thought he was with you. And so anyway, they turn around, they go back, and Jesus is in the temple, and he's teaching the doctors of the law there. But that's the last time we hear of Joseph. He just drops off the pages of Scripture. We don't know what happened to it. Again, trying to fill in the blank, scholars suggest that he probably died sometime between then and the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He had certainly taught Jesus the carpentry trade, in Mark chapter 6 and verse 3, uh, we know that that is what Jesus did as far as making a living goes. Because in verse 3 there it says, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And so not only was he the carpenter's son, as we looked at earlier, he's the carpenter. And so... I don't know if you've ever seen those bumper stickers out there. It says, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. I had somebody ask me sometimes, I've been seeing these bumper stickers. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. What are they talking about? I said, well, they means they're a Christian. They're like, what? And I said, yeah, Jesus was a carpenter. He was a Jew. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. Again, Joseph probably did die because uh, he's never mentioned during Jesus' ministry. Again, after Jesus is 12 years old in the temple, drops off the pages of Scripture, he's not present at the crucifixion with Mary. You would think if he were in their lives, he'd probably be at the crucifixion. Uh, but he wasn't, or at least he's not mentioned. So we just kind of assume that. So I say he's perhaps the most well-known unknown. But I want you to know, secondly, that Joseph was a man of outstanding character. Uh, look in verse 19. It says here, that he was a just man. It says, Joseph, her husband, being a just man. That word just means he was righteous. He was a good guy. He tried to do the right thing. He didn't approve of Mary's apparent behavior. Again, as far as he could tell, 
Mary had been unfaithful. And he didn't approve of that because he was a just man. He was a righteous man. Mary was apparently guilty of fornication. Now we all know that God designed and intended sex for the marital relationship. It's not for any other purpose, just for the marital relationship. And Joseph certainly knew that. And he respected that. And now apparently his fiance has not respected that. So he refused to condone or to legitimize her apparent sin. He was not going to condone her sin by ignoring the pregnancy and going through with the marriage. He was not going to legitimize her sin by marrying her and letting people think that the baby was his. Because he was a just man. He was righteous. He was going to do the right thing. Like Joseph, we must all be righteous. Now, we all fail in this department, of course. None of us is perfect. None of us is righteous and holy. But we certainly must strive to be righteous. We must not approve, excuse, or participate in sin. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, we are told to abstain from even the appearance of evil. So you might not be doing something wrong, but it might look wrong. Just today, a lady asked me, uh, an older lady from our church asked me to come see her this week, which I'm happy to do. And I said, well, we're going to have to sit on your porch, you know. She says, well, what if it's cold? And I said, well, we'll have to check the weather. She said, you can come in my house. I said, no, I can't. She goes, oh, yeah, that thing. Uh, and, you know, I think all of us, myself, all of you, would trust me with her. You'd trust her with me. But we would not necessarily be abstaining from the appearance of evil. And so we're going to meet on the porch, or I'm going to find somebody to go with me, or, you know, we'll reschedule. But the fact of the matter is we must do all we can do to not only live righteous but to give the appearance of righteousness when it could be taken some other way. So Joseph was just. He wasn't only just, though. I want you to see that Joseph was sensitive. He was sensitive to Mary's feelings. He wanted to divorce her, but privately. Again, look in verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to divorce her Privately. He wanted to divorce her privately. Now, they were not married yet. They were legally engaged. In the first century, engagements required a divorce. In our day and time, if you get engaged and then you decide to break it off, well, you just break it off. But in that day, you were considered husband and wife. You just didn't live together and do the things that married people do for at least a year. And then at the end of the year, you would have a big ceremony and the whole bit. So it required a divorce. But Joseph didn't want to be real big and public about it. He wanted to be real quiet, real private, because he was sensitive to her feelings. He didn't want to publicly disgrace her. And by the way, the public would find out soon enough. You know, you can hide pregnancy only so long. And then it becomes quite apparent what is going on. He was sensitive to Mary's feelings. He cared for Mary's well-being. Adulterers and fornicators were to be put to death under the law. I think Joseph hoped that she would quietly leave town. By the way, she did. I don't know if you know that from the story. She goes and stays with her cousin, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom. Stays with her for a while. And in our culture, decent people used to leave when this would happen. 
Now, sadly, illegitimacy is paraded and applauded. I often joke, in fact, I was just telling somebody the story this morning, and we were talking about dancing, but my parents, when they celebrated their 50th anniversary, what was that, 15 years ago or something? I don't know what it was, but they celebrated their 50th anniversary, and I wanted to marry them. And they said, well, that's fine, but why? And I said, well... I wasn't there the first time. I just want to make sure I'm legitimate. You know, so 50 years later, I'm going to make sure. And so I don't know what happened, you know, all those years ago. They're married now. I guarantee it. (laughs) He was sensitive to Mary's feelings. He He cared about Mary's well-being, and he was sensitive to the Lord. I want to show you something here tonight. The Lord spoke to Joseph through dreams. And Joseph did a lot of dreaming. Look here in chapter 1, verse 20. He's planning, he's molding this idea of divorcing her. It says, but while he thought on these things, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream. That's the first one. Look at chapter 2 and verse 13. And when they were departed, it's talking about the wise men, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. And look down in verses, chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Look down in verse 22. But when he heard that Archelaus did reign in Judea in the room of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream. Joseph did a lot of dreaming. I think that's really interesting because the first Joseph we meet in the Bible back in the book of Genesis, he he had a lot of dreams too. It's not the same Joseph. I'm not suggesting that. But that Joseph in Genesis had a lot of dreams. This Joseph did a lot of dreaming. And God spoke to him through those dreams. The Lord may still use dreams, but he also speaks through his word and prayer. He speaks through other Christians. He speaks through our circumstances. So if you're just hoping to just sleep and that's when God's going to speak to you, he could. He might. But some of the crazy dreams I have, I hope God is not trying to get me a message. It's just ridiculous some of the things that I dream. God can speak through our dreams. But I'll tell you the best place to look, if you want to hear from God, look in his word. This is the very best place right here. Now, true enough, if you read this thing in bed, you might fall asleep and have a dream. I mean, that might happen. But this is the way God primarily speaks to his people today, through his word, through prayer, through other Christians, and through circumstances. Just like Joseph, we must always be sensitive to God's leading. But notice something else about Joseph. He was not only just, he was not only sensitive, but he was obedient. He took Mary as his wife, as instructed. Back to chapter 1, look verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. And so he took Mary as his wife, as instructed. Not only that, he named the child Jesus as instructed. Look in verse 25. And he knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, watch, and he called his name Jesus. Now, as I mentioned this morning, Jesus was a very popular name in that time. Uh, The Hebrew form is Joshua. It means God is salvation or God saves. And Joshua was a great biblical hero. And so it was very common in that day. People were naming all their boys Joshua. I don't mean everyone, but I'm just saying it was very, very common, very, very popular to name Joshua. Your child, your son, Joshua. 
I don't know, Joseph might have wanted to call him Joseph II, maybe. That was certainly Joseph's name. And when you read Mary's lineage in Luke chapter 3, you find out that there's lots of Josephs in Mary's lineage. And so he may have wanted to marry, excuse me, name Jesus Joseph, but instead he was obedient. Joseph preferred God's will over his own will. And so I suggest to you that Joseph is perhaps the most well-known unknown. Joseph was a man of outstanding character. And lastly, I want you to see that God called Joseph because of Joseph's outstanding character. Because he was such a man of outstanding character, this is why God chose him to be the foster father for his own son. God wanted a righteous father for his son. And Joseph was a righteous foster father. You know, God had a unique opportunity to pick both his mother and his father. You know, we, what do you say? You choose your friends, you can't choose your relatives, right? You can't choose your mom and dad. But in this case, God was able to choose his mom and his dad, and he did. They weren't perfect, because nobody's perfect other than Christ himself. But they were righteous people of upstanding character. And that's why God chose them. God knows that parents make a significant impact on their children, as I was talking about this morning. And I just want you to think, and maybe your children are grown, and that's fine. But what kind of Christian impact are you making on your children? You can still have an impact on them. You can still set the example. You can still encourage them. I have to head back to Pennsylvania this week. I was telling Glenn, a a dear friend passed away, and she always told me, She said, I don't care where you are when I pass away. I want you to do my funeral. So I'll be going later, the latter half of this week. Um, But I'm going to see my son. And uh, I probably shouldn't tell you, but he ain't acting right. (laughs) And so I'm going to try to have some influence on him, try to straighten him out. And plus, you know, I'm going to do that because I'm going to spend the night at his house. So I don't want to make him mad. So it's going to be the next day, like after I spend the night. And then I'm going to give him what for. But anyway, we need to have a Christian impact on our children. And as I was saying this morning, maybe you don't have your own biological children, but if you're involved in any way here at church, you are having an impact. You're having influence on children, even if they're not yours. So think about the impact you're making. Think about the influence you are having. Think about the example you are setting. Just when our children from church here come and they see you here, even just in the hallway, They know you're coming to church. They know you're here to worship God. And that is speaking volumes to these children. In the same way as if they were to see you at a bar. Or if they were to see you at a casino. That would have a very negative influence, a very negative example. And they don't even have to know your name. They don't have to know who you're related to. They see you at church. They know you're doing the right thing. And that you're trying to learn more about God and your relationship with Him. God called Joseph because of Joseph's outstanding character. God called Joseph because Joseph was sensitive to God's leading. Are you sensitive to God's leading in your life? Are you actively seeking Him in His Word, in prayer, in Christian relationships? God called Joseph because Joseph was obedient to God's instructions. How obedient are you? the instructions that God gives us in His Word. 
They're not suggestions. You've heard that before. They're ten commandments, not ten suggestions. How obedient are you to God's instructions for your life? Test yourself. For instance, have you been baptized scripturally? You may have been baptized as a baby, but have you been baptized scripturally? Believer's baptism. That's in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. We also call that the Great Commission. Do you attend church faithfully? And I know you do. I'm seeing who's here. I know you do. But just a reminder to those who aren't. Hebrews 10.25 says, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, which some are in the habit of doing. Do you avoid unwholesome language? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, Paul writes, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That word corrupt there means rotten. Don't let rotten stuff come out of your mouth. Not only does nobody want to hear it, but Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you've got rottenness coming out of your mouth, guess what's in your heart? Are you loving your enemies? Now this is tough. Loving your enemies. We want to be mean to our enemies. We want to just turn around and give them what they give to us. But Jesus didn't say that, did he? Love your enemies. And that just doesn't mean that you say it. You're like, well, I can't stand that person, but I'm going to say, yeah, I love her. I love him. But love in the Bible is an action word. And so you don't just say it, you show it. And then getting into this area of adultery and fornication, reserve the sexual relationship for marriage. Paul is very clear on this. The Bible is very clear on this. God created it for married people and for married people only. That is not only something by which we must live, we must pass it on to our children and our grandchildren, and if God blesses, great-grandchildren. And so test yourself. How obedient are you to God's instructions? They aren't suggestions. They are commands, they are instructions, and they are for our benefit. So you will be blessed if you're obedient. Joseph was obedient And he was greatly blessed, even though we don't know what happened to him. We don't know after Jesus was 12 years old. We don't know if he died or... We don't know. Maybe he was there, but it just wasn't something that God felt it was important enough to include in the Word. Maybe he was there throughout Jesus' ministry. Maybe he was there at the cross with Mary. We don't know. But apparently in God's economy, it doesn't matter. Or he would have told us where Joseph was and what he was doing. But to think of all the men that have ever been created, God would choose this man to be the foster father of his son. How highly does that speak of this man, Joseph? And Mary, too. That of all the women God could choose, he chose her. These were truly remarkable people. These are truly people to whom we can look up and from whom we can learn and we can emulate them, particularly in their area of righteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for instructing us through your word. We thank you that we can sing your praises and fellowship together. As Claudine reminded us tonight, we all, need to grow in your grace and knowledge. And may we do so. 
May these times we spend together in worship, in instruction, may they be fruitful times for your honor and your glory. And we thank you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth.